I wanted to talk about community or Sangha and um, the separations that exist in our communities or the obstacles that blind us to our community. And I want to start with quoting something that Thich Nhat Hanh says. If you are a poet, you will see clearly that there is a cloud floating in this sheet of paper. Without a cloud, there will be no rain. The trees cannot grow, and without trees, cannot make paper. The cloud is essential for paper to exist. If the cloud is not here, the sheet of paper cannot be here. So we can say that the cloud and the paper inter-are. Interbeing is a word that is not in the dictionary yet, but if we combine the prefix inter with the verb to be, we have a new verb, inter-be. Without a cloud, we cannot have paper, so we can say that the cloud and sheet of paper inter-are. If we look into the sheet of paper even more deeply, we can see the sunshine in it. If the sunshine is not there, the forest cannot grow. In fact, nothing can grow without sunshine. Even we cannot grow without sunshine. And so we know that the sunshine is also in this piece of paper. The sunshine and this piece of paper into R. And if we continue to look, we can see the logger who cut the tree and brought it to the mill to be transformed into paper. And we see the wheat. We know the logger cannot exist without food and bread, therefore the bread is also in the sheet of paper. And the logger's father and mother are in it too. When we look this way, we see that this piece of paper that I'm holding in my hands right now cannot exist without all these things. When we look at this piece of paper, we see we are in it too, for our minds are present perceiving it. We can say that everything is in this piece of paper. You cannot point one thing out that is not here. Minerals and rocks, time, space, the earth, river, heat, each of us here. Everything coexists with this piece of paper. You cannot just be by yourself or alone. That is just a concept. You have to interview with everything else. This sheet of paper is because we are. The great teachers speak of the deepest connection and love that is there inside of themselves and in relation to everything else in life. That, in fact, the boundaries and the separations between what we might call myself and you start to fall away, and that really there isn't a distinction anymore. We've heard the phrase repeated over and over again, we are one, perhaps 
until we're a little sick of it. <laughs> and yet, the reality is, at least for some of the time, and possibly for most of the time, that that is not actually how we experience our lives, nor is it how we experience our relationships, and certainly it's not how we experience our community. What is it that is at the heart of this obstruction from the reality of a community where there aren't the divisions and the barriers and the obstructions? What actually is going on that builds the separation? This fall, I chose to under hire a lawyer and challenge in a legal process something that happened that I didn't agree with. And as probably most legal processes are, it was quite difficult. And um, so I went through this process and uh, it culminated in the final day of hearings and I thought that the a lawyer representing the party that I um, was challenging was extremely underhand and quite nasty. And I came away from the experience shaken I, by the nastiness of it. And um, I came home expecting my partner to be there, because after all, it isn't every day that I um, go to court and fight. And, um, and she wasn't there, and she had left me a note saying that she had um, gone off to play Pictionary with her friends. <laughs> so... <laughs> 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 I felt hurt <laughs> and I went, I, I went to my bedroom and I meditated a little bit and that was fine and in, as I came out of the meditation I realized I was still feeling hurt and, I, and some, I'm sure it was about the court process and so I started to cry and then it was done. 8.30 and she still wasn't home and I started to see the hurt move into anger and I saw it clearly and I tried to bring it back into that place of being in an active relationship or allowing myself to continue to feel the hurt and then it's 9.30 and she still isn't home. <laughs> By 10 o'clock I was just pissed. <laughs> <laughs> She came back at 11 and knocked on my door and I said, I don't want to speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> and she came in anyway and I said, you know, I feel really hurt that you weren't there for me. And she said, I'm really sorry. And I said, I'm so angry with you to speak with you. And, um, and she went away. And I struggled, I struggled to... Um, 
hold the anger and I saw how it slipped away from me and it placed itself clearly and squarely on her shoulders. This was her problem. She <laughs> should have been there for me and she wasn't. And <laughs> the next day, I feel very blessed because she was terribly sweet and she actually supported me in helping to let go of my anger, which I, of course, knew was really my work and not hers. And, um, and I let go. And part of the challenge of letting go was trusting that I could really share my hurt and my pain with her. And this is a woman that I truly adore and love. And I've been with for five years. And I practiced it. And nevertheless, after all this time, it was a tremendous challenge to open and share my pain with her rather than defend myself. And it took me a whole evening and another couple of hours in the morning to actually let go of holding this defense and of holding my pain and hurt at the same time. In the moments that I projected my anger onto her, in the moments when I fell into the dynamic of feeling that she was the one that had hurt me and that she was the one that had messed up, in the moment that I felt that it was her fault and that she deserved my anger, she became my enemy. She became someone who wasn't part of my community, who wasn't part of my sangha, and who wasn't my partner. She became in those moments someone that I separated myself from. She became someone I didn't like and I didn't love. That dynamic is a dynamic, unfortunately, we are all carrying, that we have inherited from our past and from this culture and also from the very nature of our mind. It is a dynamic that is completely victimizing. For as long as we locate the reason for our feelings as outside of ourselves, we are victims. There is no way we can therefore empower ourselves to change our relationship to those feelings. We give other people an authority that they don't deserve. In that process, we disempower ourselves and split ourselves up, taking part of ourselves, whatever our experience is, and putting it onto someone else. We disown ourselves, we victimize ourselves, and we disempower ourselves. Every time I'm in a difficult interaction, and I'm trying to communicate what's going on, 
when I say, you made me, or you did, there is a neon light flashing, warning me that I'm about to enter into this kind of relationship of victimization. Every time I say, I feel this way because you did this, the neon light flashes and warns me I'm about to enter into this type of relationship. This particular dynamic is a dynamic that isn't only characteristic of our intimate relationships in our families or even in our friends or perhaps even in our work environments. This particular characteristic or dynamic is institutionalized in our society and it's called race, class, it's called homophobia, it's called ableism. In fact, our society is crisscrossed in divisions and separations that are not actually true but rest on exactly this particular characteristic. The difference is that it describes groups and not just an individual. So, someone who is racist or someone who is classist is projecting in the same way certain feelings onto another group of people when those feelings actually belong to her or himself. Those feelings projected onto particular characteristics of a group are then institutionalized in power differentials. But actually, the dynamic underneath this is no different from the dynamic we experience and live out probably every day of our lives. I wanted to bring it up because one of the challenges for me as a lesbian is including people I experience as homophobic in my community. It's very easy for me to sit in this room today and to feel a tremendous amount of love and gratitude towards each one of you here. It's not so easy for me to feel it towards those people who are actively struggling against how I live and who I am. It is very easy for me in the same way that I located my anger and placed it onto Shah, for me to locate my anger and to place it onto these people, and to again victimize myself and disempower myself by giving them the authority in this relationship. It is also very easy to experience just the opposite 
it is very easy and quite comfortable in this culture to associate myself with particular characteristics, for example, of being white, and to carry a particular superiority around that that divorces me from people who might not be white. I recently went to um, an interview with the US Naturalization and Immigration Service because I wanted to become a citizen. And I was the only white person in the room. I was the only person dressed up in a black business suit with a white shirt and carried a black briefcase. And as people's names were called up and different people came up to the offices and were whisked away for the interview, and as they came back looking very disheartened, I noticed there was a particular ownership I had around how I looked and what the color of my skin was. Quite subtle that gave me a confidence in how I carried myself when my name was called up. And I noticed that that particular ownership, that now I'm talking about not placing the anger as I did on Shah, but actually placing that same feeling on myself, not anger, but this time a particular kind of superiority or confidence that came from skin color and I and I held it and in that holding I noticed how I separated myself from everyone else in the room. It wasn't conscious, it was the same dynamic of not being present and directly experiencing my feelings but objectifying my feelings one way or another either onto a person or, in this case, onto a feeling. It's the same characteristic, and it split me and isolated me in the same way. There is a great challenge in identity politics. There is a great challenge in locating ourselves in particular groups as middle class, as lesbian, as white, or as multicultural, as a as man, or as abled, or physically challenged, however old or young. There is a great challenge in walking the line of exploration and actually solidifying the process so that we disintegrate community rather than build community. It's a very tricky line because I know for myself, being part of the women's movement and being part of this movement, I have nourished those parts of myself that haven't been nourished in this culture. But the women's movement and even sitting here today gives me and mirrors and acknowledges parts of myself that have been invisible. And I would not have not participated in that process. But there is a danger in this kind of acknowledgement of drawing a line and saying me and not me in a way that actually destroys the possible places where we can build community.
understanding the dynamics that underlie the objectification of ourselves brings us into communion with all beings everywhere because we are all doing the same thing. We're all doing the same thing because we are all hurting. The Buddha, in his first noble truth, spoke to the fact that being born into this body means necessarily we are going to hurt. How we hold our hurt, how we share our hurt, becomes the difference between building community or not. Having the courage to disentangle our identification with our pain, having the courage to really share it and acknowledge it with each other is the very beginning of building the kind of relationship that never fragments. Because we understand in that process of communication how we really are the same. The Dalai Lama says of the Chinese who have invaded Tibet, they are my friends. This is a description of a nation that has gone into Tibet and has killed and murdered thousands of monks, that has killed and murdered thousands of people who have protested their Chinese occupation. The Dalai Lama says, the Chinese are essentially no different than I am. They are still my friends. And sometimes I struggle to hold on to this friendship. The Dalai Lama struggles to hold on to the friendship because he understands the most basic teaching of the Buddha, which Eric mentioned yesterday, that hate only builds hate. That friendship and love and caring build friendship and love and caring. And that each one of us, I know here, has a deep vision of love and caring, of a community and of intimate relationships that are built on love and caring. And it is that vision, I know, that inspires us to be here, that inspires us in our tremendous effort to be mindful and to be awake. And it is that vision also that inspires us or can inspire us to take responsibility for our whole process, to take responsibility to hold and embrace all of who we are. This means letting go of the models and the stereotypes of perfection that we each carry. 
Does models and stereotypes might be about the way we look. They might be about how we need to be intelligent in particular ways, skillful at our jobs in particular ways. It might be about not crying, or it might be the need to cry. It might be that we think we're too anxious, or that we think we eat too much, or that we don't eat too much. The myriad of compositions that we have created, that we hold up in relationship to ourselves and judge ourselves, it is without limit. Those judgments and the images that those judgments contain, that we each live with and carry, are tremendous burdens and weigh us down. It is why we're so exhausted and tired all the time. And yet, for some reason, perhaps because of habit, perhaps because we've been doing it so long, we mostly refuse to put these burdens down. We mostly refuse to say, I am as I am. Will you please accept me? Perhaps we can each be courageous enough to say to each other what Kai said. Darling, I am here for you. I am not here for your image. I am not here for your standards of perfection. I am not here for who you think you should be. Darling, I am here for you. And I want you to know I really appreciate it when you are here for me. One of the techniques that Plum Village rests on in the building of its community is a constant appreciation of each other. There are circles every week where people say to each other, how they appreciate each other. I think we could probably have circles where we appreciate ourselves as well. They didn't do it there, but I think that would be probably even more healing to sit in a circle and appreciate ourselves. Appreciation is a tremendous healing and is a tremendous building block for, for creating that of holding each other and of being there for each other. And I know that it's very easy to do, to appreciate those that we love, and it's also very easy to do to appreciate those that we don't love so much. There is always some way we can acknowledge a place of appreciation. Even if it's just the challenge strengthens us. Appreciating ourselves helps us to disentangle from the stereotypes and images that separate ourselves from each other and ourselves from ourselves. Appreciation and gratitude and the whole practice of loving kindness begins to heal those separations. Mindfulness also begins to heal those separations. Because once 
each of us here makes a commitment to align ourselves with who we really are, then our mindfulness helps us to become very sensitive to those judgments that begin to separate us. And we're able to say no. Sometimes it takes a huge effort and I have to say to myself, get out. No, get out. I'm not going to believe you. Sometimes it's very sticky, that judgment of I'm not good enough. It's not good enough. I'm lousy. Sometimes it's much easier to just pick it up and say no. But what's important for each one of us and for, for us as a community as a whole is to make that commitment to stand in our space and to say no. No, I refuse to take on the judgments, the stereotypes anymore. The stereotypes of whiteness, of success around that whiteness, the stereotypes that come from being a male, the stereotypes that come from being a female. However, those images are configurated and those concepts are constructed that we carry around with us. However, they exhibit themselves to us. We can take a stand and we can say no. I want to end with an appreciation poem. <coughs> In small things always, there was you, as if all nature contained your thoughts. And so I learned from rocks and rainbows, tall trees and butterflies. Woman, there was you and the eagle flying free and lonely, and in the eyes of the deer I saw once in an untamed place. Woman, there is you in all good things that awaken me and say, my life is richer and fuller because you lived with me. This is for you all. There was you as if all nature contained your thoughts. And so I learned from rocks and rainbows, tall trees and butterflies. There was you in the eagle flying free and lonely. And in the eyes of a deer I saw once in an untamed place. There is you in all good things that awaken me and say, my life is richer and fuller because you are with me. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.